0: Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Dr. Hanur Singh. I am a physical therapist, yoga instructor, and movement practitioner. And you are listening to Movement with Noor. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Movement with Noor, where we get to host discussions between movement practitioners and scholars. In today's episode, we have Liam Kaplan who is a rock climber, movement enthusiast, personal trainer, has studied the art of espresso in Italy for a number of years and is currently living the van life. He's a good friend of mine that I've met at Airtrex and I'm really excited because in this episode of the podcast, we talk about rock climbing. What can a beginner expect in climbing? Why we should not overanalyze the grading system? And what does the van life consist of and the benefits of a minimalistic lifestyle? Here's Liam. Thanks for coming on, Liam. Yeah, I'm
1: stoked. Um, Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, I spend a lot of time climbing. I live in my van. I exist to climb. That's pretty much all I do.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so why don't you go ahead and just take us from the top. What was it like starting your climbing journey? When did it start? And what brought it to here?
1: So I started climbing. I was in... Italy? Uh, That's a lie. I was thinking about the coffee. I'm sorry. I was in California. Um, I was living out there when I was uh, 14 with my father at the time, who I don't like spending a lot of time with, uh, just for trauma reasons and whatever. Mm. Um, And so when I met uh, at the time, my best friend, uh, his name is Victor. I mean, I met him, obviously we weren't best friends at first, but then we became best friends quite quickly, connected very quickly. And he introduced me to his favorite sport, climbing, which he had been doing for like eight months um, at the time. And I quickly fell in love with it as well. Just the idea of like climbing things, being able to just like conquer the world in such a like natural, almost like humanistic, but also animalistic way at the same time um it's such a beautiful type of movement it's almost like a dance to me um and he was on a climbing team so I kind of joined his climbing team uh while I was there I competed some with him we um had a lot of fun doing that and so that's where it really started uh when I fell in love with it uh so yeah grateful for that
0: Sounds like age 14. So since then, you were climbing. And I remember at one point you said that you even had a car accident that sent you back a couple of years.
1: Yeah. So uh, after about a year and a half of climbing, I was climbing pretty heavily. I competed a bunch. Um, I was like, uh, I was just turning 15 at the time. I was climbing like V8s, V9s. Um, so I felt pretty happy with my progress um, climbing that and like. Uh, just over a year. Um, I guess I was halfway through 15 at the time. Um, So yeah, just a a little over a year, year and a half of climbing. I was climbing well, I progressed really quickly. Um, And then after moving back to Baltimore, I was in a car accident, which was very unfortunate. I was in a tiny little Honda Insight and a massive pickup truck, just to try to, to, decided to knock me off of the 695 which was not ideal, to put it lightly. Um, So I was unable to climb for a very long time. Um, It was about a a year of of not being able to really do anything with my body properly. And then another six months of, like, rehab, extensive rehab, to, like, um, really get myself from, like, not really moving properly to moving again, which was... Um, I'm happy I recovered to a point where I'm like pretty much side effect-free. My neck gives me some weird trouble um, sometimes, and my back gives me some trouble sometimes, but it's not really something that has hindered me much, so I'm very happy about that. Uh, And I got back into climbing with absolutely no muscle, Yeah. Um, which is actually an anecdote that I use a lot when I'm training people, um, that strength is the least important part. Because when I got back into climbing with no muscle at all, I was still able to climb V5s. Yeah. Just because I spent that whole time studying technique. Um,
0: I definitely want to break down that component a lot. Because that's something that uh, you've been teaching me a lot about. is just like how to stay involved in... Just because you're climbing a V1 or a V2 doesn't mean you can't learn a lot from that problem. Mm-hmm. So I definitely want to jump into that topic. But before we do that, I want to ask, you said six months of rehab. Did you see a physical therapist?
1: I did see a physical
0: therapist. Oh, wow. Um, in summary, what kind of uh, like injuries were you sustaining? Was it like broken bones or was it a it lot was, of like whiplash?
1: It was a lot of whiplash. So I was very lucky. I should definitely be
0: dead right now. Yeah. Um,
1: I hit a tree just straight on at 65 miles an hour. So, uh, physics standpoint, I'm an incredibly lucky human being as far as my life. Yeah. Uh, it was, I spent a lot of time just like the main thing that I was strengthening was like my spine, my back, um, in general, and then my neck as well as like shoulders and hips. I had a lot of, uh, just kind of were impacted directly from the major injury in my spine. Um, I don't remember exactly what it was. The injury was because I was young and not really paying attention to anything and focused only on climbing. Uh, but I do remember that it was, uh, like pretty much up and down specifically, uh, thoracic and cervical spine was pretty fucked up. Yeah. Um, uh, I was pretty okay in my lower back, but then my hips were not happy either.
0: Um, but it doesn't sound like any broken bones.
1: No broken bones, luckily. Gotcha.
0: Just a lot of like um, whiplash, like injuries mm-hmm. and reorienting the system. Yeah, that's a lot hard. Of man. Tissue
1: damage. Oh wow. Not like external, but like internal, like tissue damage.
0: Oh wow. From movement. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's dive in on like some of what you were just talking about with the V five climbing and coming in without uh, any strength component. I think for anybody who hasn't rock climbed or is just starting off their journey in climbing, it becomes a really big, um, philosophy of what can I climb? How hard can I climb? Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, that's what probably leads to the most amounts of injury, uh, that mentality. And then maybe even like this, um, aspect of can I focus in on grades and get a higher grade, get a higher grade faster and faster and faster. So uh, one thing that you were teaching me, um, I actually recently sustained also a finger injury so um as i was trying to get back into climbing you were explaining to me the concepts of just little things like climbing quieter coming down counting re-grips concepts like that and so that was really helpful for me because it didn't make it only the strength component i wasn't just trying to go up another grade but instead i was just focusing in on the softer technical components of climbing uh what how, how does somebody what are some tips for somebody to start into that? but also like how does somebody uh, like combat their ego in that sense? because that's what I'm feeling the most time is the, the difficulty of like climbing a V2 around my friends because I'm like uh, nervous to like go back down a couple of grades. I, I want to like prove that I'm growing, but it's sometimes hard. Like uh, for you, it sounds like you went through a pretty humbling experience coming back to V5s after you were going so far into the V8 V9 category. What was the experience like, and how? Do you have any tips for anybody else on that?
1: Um, so the first thing I want to say is probably most injury is not actually going too far, but rather training too hard. Um, but that's just something I noticed that I wanted to bring up at some point, point. Uh, and just you can say put it out there, that. put it out there, and so, so that I remembered it. Anyways, uh, ego is definitely problematic um, as far as climbing goes. The whole grade pushing concept is a big, like. I mean, a lot of people are like grade pushers trying to constantly, like, oh, I did 3v9 so I can do a v10 now. Or I even did like 1v9 so I can do a v10 now. Or 1v5 and do zit 6s. Or I should be able to do 7s now because this 1 7 is my style. Um, even though I did this 1 5 and I've never done a 6 before or whatever. Um, or another concept like I've done a v6 so I should be able to do all v5s ever. Um, and this is not true because like grading. Uh, it's not a one dimensional thing. And I, it's, it's a term I use a lot as uh, grading, not being one dimensional. And what I mean that by that is that it's not just like a linear, it's not a line. It's not one dimensional in that sense. There isn't, even though that things like have some overlap, it's still not, doesn't line up like that. Cause things can overlap in a one dimensional field. Things have difficult, different types of grading and difficulty for different types of bodies, different types of humans, different types of strengths. Um, so something that might feel like a V5 to me, because I'm good at crimping and shouldery things and using my feet very well, might feel like a V7 to something, someone else who's a lot better at like big compression-y slopers um, on like, over, like on a steep overhang, just campusing, just because we have very different skill sets. And so what might feel very hard for someone else might feel very easy for me. Uh, And that doesn't mean this grade is any less difficult for them because I can do it easily. It doesn't make it a V5 because it feels like a V5 to me. It doesn't make it a V7 because it feels like V7 to them. So that makes grading very difficult. Yeah. Like in the concept that, and of course, there is a general range where things tend to train upwards in difficulty as things get harder. But it's not like a line of difficulty. Even if it's like an exponential line, that line is not a single line, it's more of like a, a cone. Yeah. Um, or like a cylinder of grades where things just kind of like a mishmash of difficulty kind of trending upwards in difficulty as grades get higher. Um, and uh, like another great thing is like body types. Like I am 5'11 with a negative 2 ape index, which means I am...
0: Whoa, negative 2 ape index. Mm-hmm.
1: I've got short arms. Dang. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so big, long, reachy things not something i'm very good at yeah um body tension is very hard for me because of the size of my torso especially compared to my arms um that can be very hard for me but because of my arms length they're shorter so i have less torque on my shoulders in comparison to my uh, body height so i'm able to get very shouldery moves a lot easier than people who have much longer arms because there's less torque and that's how physics works yeah um so that's a just like it's really just looking for our strengths and what we're good at, and being able to like, utilize our strengths rather than complain about our weaknesses. Um, and just because of that, things might feel harder for me that are very body tensiony and reachy, which is not something I'm great at. And for someone who is has a plus five ape index and is also five eleven, stuff that's has, <laughs> has uh, it's very reachy might feel a lot easier to them, just no. because it's like they can reach that far, but very shouldery things where they're doing near iron cross moves might feel very hard just because of their, uh, the amount of torque they have to put on their arms or like super biceppy stuff might feel harder because they have longer forearms. So there's more torque put on their elbow. And Holy so it's shit. like just a lot of things to think about in that aspect.
0: Yeah. I never, so for anybody who's wondering, I, I have a ape index of plus four mm-hmm. and, uh, And also just to define ape index, it's pretty much the length of your arms compared to your body height. So if you have longer arms compared to your torso and the rest of your body, uh, it's definitely helpful in certain circumstances, but not helpful in others. And that's what Liam's breaking down right now is just the physics components of those. And I I knew the benefits of having a greater ape index because like, you know, having longer arms, you can reach better things. But how you just explain how the iron cross would be harder because of that blew my mind. Um, that's probably not why I don't have an iron cross. It's probably because I don't train it, but I mean, I don't either. So (laughs) yeah, but that, that's, that's definitely something that to keep in mind. Yeah. So that's interesting what you were saying about the grading systems, um, and how like a lot of people can really try and peg them down or create like rules in their head of like, Oh, if I climb three V threes, I should be able to start doing V fours now, or just create all these rules and how it's difficult to, like i hear what you're saying about let go of the grade well i i wonder because um for a beginner it almost seems like their only association with the climbing world like it's the only way they can identify the spectrum so how would you suggest for somebody who's either a beginner or more involved in their climbing experience to look at a climb from the starting point without getting too focused on the grade
1: so it's, it's tough because, like, the whole grading thing is kind of based on ego. Um, I mean, it, like,
0: in, it it's important
1: to have it, to have a concept of be like, this feels this hard to me, to have some kind of line of, like, what stuff feels like so you know what you're getting into um, to some degree. But it, I, li- I don't like thinking of grades as, like, an end-all, be-all. I'd rather think of grades as kind of a suggestion or a thought. Um, or like a concept um the same way i can't think of a a metaphor off the top of my head so i'm just not gonna sit here thinking about it but the the mindset of the just like thinking of grades as being something that's not a definite thing it's not like this v3 is a v3 it's more of a this kind of feels like this grade-ish thing um and something that uh, a handful of gyms do that I really appreciate, uh, Seattle Bouldering Project is something that stand, someone a uh, one that stands out to me uh, as doing this, is that instead of having grades,
0: they have colors. Oh well, wow. and so like spectrum based.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like so
0: zero to V two, yeah, to V2, yeah. So V2 like V2 to V4.
1: exactly like that. Um, orange is like zero to uh, intro to two, um, yeah. and then uh, like two to four two to five and then five to six or, or five to seven or whatever and then seven to nine and then nine plus um and then it does like then if you get on something it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean it's too hard for you because it's a certain grade or too easy for you because it's or, like should be too easy but you can't do it because it's a certain grade it's a spectrum you don't know and because grades are more of a spectrum some just because something feels v5 to someone it might feel v8 to someone else yeah i've had that situation there's a, a seven in the gym right now and it feels like a four to me but i was talking to someone who was talking to me about how it was one of the hardest sevens in the gym and i was like like i i understood this grade concept but like the fact that they said that and i, I just like at first it was like what because yeah. it feels so easy to me and my con in like from my skill set and my abilities and my strengths but to them it was so anti-style so apart from what they're able to do and what they're good at that it felt- they said it was one of the hardest sevens in the gym and that's okay that's because it's something that doesn't fit their style and also not their body type
0: yeah I think there's definitely a a, a level of like Comfort and somebody trying to objectify something so abstract, mm-hmm. which is probably like maybe like uh, underlying Philosophical reason why the grading feels so comfortable um, is like somebody stamps an approval that this is what this is and then you can kind of like Say you've conquered it or you did not and it just kind of makes something so abstract like climbing feel solicited um, not solicited but like solid um, so I want to actually jump jump to another topic which is just the idea of somebody who's entering the sport for the first time so mm-hmm. for me like I, i've gotten to have a year of climbing and that's uh, a lot of thanks and love you you gave a shout out to your friend who introduced it to you i'll give a shout out to mine uh lorraine ko she's the one that gave me the insight on climbing i only did acro yoga at the time she did climbing and we kind of traded talents where i showed her acro and she showed me climbing um as like somebody who's entering a gym, one thing that I like didn't notice initially. it's not something that like uh, I pick up but like it's something that I started noticing was that within the climbing uh, social club, it tends to be more of a male dominated atmosphere. It tends to be more Caucasian based. and um, for me that's something that like I wasn't uh, incredibly affected by, but it definitely started feeling, uh, to an extent like an exclusive uh, sort of um, culture where like uh, it, not only that it had to be male or Caucasian, but also just the expenses behind trying to get involved in climbing um, because climbing memberships aren't cheap. And so in all these areas that are developing climbing gyms, uh, there tends to be some level of dissonance or disconnect between uh, impoverished communities and being able to engage in that and not only impoverished communities but also multicultural communities and well, uh, like I said me personally I didn't uh, feel that extensively um, but I have had so many friends who when they first walk into a gym that's one of the first things that they tend to look for for a level of comfort is is there some level of multiculturalism that this gym is inviting not only from like a standpoint of the gym saying you know, we accept all types of groups of people, but also like just seeing it within the population itself. So I just wanted to ask, like, what have your experiences been with that? And do you feel uh, like, like that you, you've also noted any of these ideas? Uh, do you have any insights on like why this may be or, and what, what, what's your experience been overall?
1: Yeah. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that I've spoken about before and I, um, and unhappy about with the fact that it's such a male, uh, white, wealthy-ish male dominated industry, just because of, I mean, I'm not super familiar with the history of it. Um, but I do know that a lot, uh, it's definitely been like seen towards that area because a lot of people in other cultures and in other communities don't really have the ability to like one recreate in such an easy way because the world has pushed them down uh, so much, but also that just the expense is so high. Like you mentioned, that it's it's incredibly hard to like just like start to even like conceive if you might even like it. Yeah. Um, and so it just kind of seems like a out of reach concept because it's like it's spoken about, but then like it's it's so expensive to start doing it. Shoes are like two hundred bucks. Um, mm. And like crash pads are like two hundred bucks if you want to do it outside and not pay for its eighty dollar gym membership. Mm. Um, it's just it's 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 an expensive thing to get into.
0: Yeah. Um. Not to mention just the membership. Yeah. A- and the one time fee you come in the first time, it's twenty dollars. Yeah. Which is like, uh, you know, it, it's just it's not a comfortable, comfortable feeling for me. Like anytime I bring my friends to a climbing gym there, I say, you want to go to the gym with me because that's where I work out. That's where I move. The climbing gym is like a movement haven for me at this mm-hmm. moment. So when I'm like, you want to go to the gym with me? They're like, yeah, how much for a membership? And Planet Fitness is costing $10 a month. Right. And then this climbing gym for a one-time entrance fee can be anywhere from $10 to $20 and then gear rental on top of it. So you, I can see uh, how quickly it can block certain populations from getting access to it.
1: Yeah, and it's it's just such a such a difficult thing because it's I mean I understand the concept it's expensive to start a climbing gym, but it the fact that all the money comes from like the client base makes it so hard to like get other groups of people from uh, more ma- marginalized uh, regions of the world or of the city into the sport. Because it's it's like you, it's such an expensive buy-in, it makes it impossible to just kind of be like, yeah, I'm gonna see if I enjoy this new sport. Um, I really like the idea of the um, the sliding scale membership. Mm. Uh, they, uh, where was that? Wow, I'm blanking on where it was. There was a the Waltopia gym in. I should know where this is from. It's
0: all good. Uh, while we're thinking about it, I actually want to give a shout out to fast Boulder Lounge uh, out in Philadelphia because they do have a sliding scale. They are set up where they're doing the grading system, like you said, where it's uh, in spectrum based, and they they really are reaching out to uh, the local population instead of trying to create divisions between um, like the wealthy and the non wealthy. So they're doing a fantastic job in leading Philadelphia and a lot of the social changes and are heavily involved with the poc community of climbing there so i just wanted to give them a shout out because they're doing everything you're talking about and so that's exciting
1: that's that's so awesome to hear yeah um another gym that i'm somewhat a part of to try to help create is uh the Pigtown climbing gym yeah um which i'm really excited to be um i'm not as much of a part of it as uh, i'd like to be but it's kind of hard to reach out to more people especially during covid lockdown and stuff like that um it's getting better now that the vaccine is more of prevalent, uh, which is why I'm comfortable being here without a mask, With nor uh, being fully vaccinated, which is awesome, but also not super relevant to this podcast. So, like... um, (laughs) uh, Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. um, But it's such a cool thing that that's, like, a thing that these people... Like, that people are doing. Um, I'm very excited to have that be a thing that uh in Pigtown um have a uh, sliding scale membership gym um we were talking it was originally supposed to be a free gym but technically you need some membership because of insurance or some stupid shit um i don't know as much as many people do Uh, i'm not going to speak like i do i'm not uh, a head director of that
0: right We can pause on that because I actually uh, am inviting Pigtown Climbs to talk about it more extensively, but pretty much they're a gym that's going to be a non-profit based gym and they're about to do a lot of exciting work in Baltimore. So we're going to save that for another podcast. But one thing I do also want to talk about, we talked about the climbing. I want to talk about at some point injury prevention, but we might pause on that because we can dive deep into what that looks like uh, on another podcast. Why don't we just talk about this atmosphere we're in right now we're in liam's van it is fantastic because it's not only his van it's his home and uh it's an opportunity for me to experience somebody who's off the road who's getting or who's on the road and getting to experience a lifestyle that has to be at some level minimalistic and I, i'm a huge fan of that type of lifestyle so why don't you just tell me about like what inspired it for you and what do you have in this van because like i'm not sure much. a lot of people would be interested on how much how much do you you know like carry with you at all times
1: um so i as far as physical belongings not a ton i have yeah. my clothes which are there and just behind the camera wow um,
0: <laughs> for anyone who's wondering it is a small crevice uh, right above the driver's seat in which he has many of his clothes packed away and so i mean that that's that's
1: all the clothes i have I yeah that's somebody's
0: that. that's somebody's sock drawer i would say <laughs> like and a humbled one so that's impressive to see that you're able to consolidate so much yeah i mean i
1: don't need that much room but like the number of clothes i have is like it seems so excessive to have like 30 different outfits for each occasion like i have a handful of pants for climbing a handful uh and then like one pair or like two pairs of pants for like not climbing Experiences like if I want to go out and be somewhat fancy, if someone invites me and do a dinner or whatever, which pretty much never happens, but it's a just in case. Um, and then I have my uh, shirts for the coffee shop I'm working at right now, um, and my regular shirts and climbing uh, and uh, socks, rather. Yeah, and underwear, which is just like a couple pairs of each, and that's it because I don't really need more than that, it seems excessive. And pants you can wear a handful of times before they're dirty, especially if you're not doing anything too excessive with them.
0: Um, yeah. And whoever's not watching the video right now, so we're located in his van. Right behind me is this bed. Um, I, we have a little stovetop here. I see a toilet. Um, why don't you talk me through, like, what, what are some of some of the ways that you just cook a meal? Um, how do you heat this van? Like the basic luxuries yeah. that we don't even think about.
1: Yeah, so um, I don't shower because showering is a luxury that we don't need. I wow. wash my body with a washcloth and water that I boiled on the stove wow. um, and some soap. And then I uh, wait for it to rain to wash my hair. I don't ever wash it, but I'll rinse it with water um, because it's, it's nice to rinse it with water. It's unhealthy to wash your hair with soap, so I never do that.
0: Wait, why do you say you wait for it to rain? Because uh, I don't have a downpouring
1: thing, and I don't really feel like filling a massive tub filled with water to then
0: stick my head in and then dump out. So you 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 wait for the rain to wash the hair. Yeah, dude, that there's something so beautiful about that. <laughs> that like, I've never heard that. That like somebody's uh, routine is l- very intertwined with nature. I mean, yeah. obviously I've heard that, but like, it's so fun to to meet somebody who's like. Uh, you know, just uh, just involved in the environment to the point where their habits are depicted by what the yeah. weather is up to. I
1: mean, all the water I get is rainwater. Oh wow! Um, well, it's a mix between uh, rainwater and uh, fresh spring water. Yeah. So I collect rainwater in in buckets and I pour it into my. I have a twenty five gallon tank under my bed, um, which holds all my water. Uh, and then I have a water pump that feeds it to my stove, uh, stove <laughs> sink. Yeah. Um and that's either rainwater that i collected or uh, water from freshwater springs that i have collected as well. Wow. Um, I used to have a gray water tank. I took it out and put a Tupperware because i got lazy emptying it and it takes so much more effort and it takes uh, and it makes me more careless about how much water i use um, which is not something i want to be. So instead if i have a like uh, i believe that is a t- uh, a one liter Tupperware, so yeah. I only can use one liter at a time of water before I'm forced to dump it. Right, which is makes me very conscious of how much water I use, which is nice, and that's also a lot less cumbersome than going under, grabbing my uh, grey water tank, coming out, dumping it into directly into uh, like a waste container or something like that. When I just have like a liter of sink water, and it's it's great. So it's a lot more um, makes me more conscientious of the water I use which is really helpful and it's less of a pain Um, and it uses less space which is cool too. Um, I also have under the bed is my mass storage and my bulk storage. I have my crash pads there, I have a broken espresso machine that I've been trying to fix up and haven't been able to fix up yet uh, because it's 30 years old or something and I can't figure out what it needs. uh, but that'll happen at some point. I have also my all my electricity and batteries. So I've got two 250-amp-hour t- uh, amp batteries um, plus a 2,000-watt inverter under the bed. Um, the mattress is a memory foam mattress uh, that was gifted to me by a rich friend, which is fucking great. It's the nicest mattress I've ever slept in. and It's in a van, which seems kind of unreal. Um, I've got the fridge, which is what you're sitting on. Uh, my countertop is a, um, piece of, uh, beech wood that was, it's a butcher, a beech wood butcher block that was gifted to me, um, and I, uh, used a Dremel and carved out a cutting board where I'm sitting right now. I cut a hole for my sink and a hole for my gas range, which was giving me some problems with the gas, uh, line. So I just put a camping stove on top of it for now until I fix the line. Um, Uh, I've got my dry toilet, which is a composting toilet, which is kind of where the camera is sitting right now. Um, Toilet. Toilet. Uh, Yeah, so that's a dry toilet. Pretty much, I use peat moss. Uh, It's completely odorless, which is great. Um, Smells less than a blackwater tank, and I don't have to worry about dumping a blackwater tank. I just have a bunch of compost, which is great for the soil. If I ever want to help the environment or if someone wants a garden i can be like hey i've got super rich compost
0: filled with amazing nutrients that
1: i've discarded
0: from my body wow that's uh that's a marketing spiel that might actually work compared to here's my poop (laughs) Right? (laughs)
1: right here's my poop
0: um
1: but if no one wants it i just uh drop it in like i spread it out through the woods somewhere or um if i'm in a city with not a ton of woods i give it to like a composting plant or like a composting place that composts stuff um, which is nice. nice so I can do that. So that's the van. Um, it's got vinyl flooring, uh, a propane tank for the stove, um, which is also where I have some extra storage where it's where I keep my laundry, um, and tools and shoe box or, uh, and shoes, extra shoes. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, there's a couple of things I want to quick say. The first one I just want to say is, we talked a lot about climbing and we talked a lot about the van life. Um, just one time, this is a movement podcast. I love having you on because you, you have this extreme, uh, this uh, extremely well-calculated thought process on how the body works. Like Whenever I show you th- concepts that are outside of climbing, like I, I've been getting to show Liam some handstand work or some, maybe some basics in plaunching and uh he's been getting to show me so much at climbing like what 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 brings you to movement as a whole because uh i i see that you have a mind that's more than just focused on climbing and uh why don't you just give like a small summary of like what 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 the experience has been for you to move your body what calls you to do it and what are some major interests in it
1: um well i spent a lot of time not moving after my car accident So the Mm. fact that I can have full range of my body after such a devastating accident is very lucky. So I'd rather use it than not. Um, Climbing is a very movement focused activity. Like the amount of movement in climbing is surreal. Like there's so many different types of muscles and uh, positions and groups of muscles that you utilize to put yourself the wall especially as you get into more complex techniques um in different types of climbs and so that really has pushed me into really trying to understand my body more um and i've gotten i'd like to say decent at understanding like with my body awareness and understanding where i am in space um and being able to control myself minutely uh and just like being able to just the the understanding of bodies themselves is just a lot it's just fascinating to me um the human body is such a wild thing um it's got so much in it uh animals bodies too like out like um non-human animal bodies rather i should say uh as well i know less about the movement there and i can personally less experiment with that um so i am able to with what i have i have a human body so it's what i can experiment with yeah uh and being able to just find the limits of what are possible for humans is incredible. Um, we were talking, like just for example, we were talking about uh, V-sits and then straightening out a V-sit to be p- parallel to the ground. I want to train that now. Yeah. I can do a V-sit. I can't straighten out, but I felt like I could kind of get straighter. Yeah. So I want to start doing a tuck V-sit to try to see if I can get my back parallel to the ground.
0: Wow, well, yeah. And for those who don't know what a V-sit is, I mean, it's it's an incredibly hard movement to try and even explain, but it's kind of like an L sit, where you're sitting in a seated position and your body looks like an L, and you lift yourself up, and then you elevate the legs, and it for turns into a watching. B. And for those who are watching, Liam is doing that's a it. B sit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and I think that's one thing that really excites me is just that you have this ability to be open still. I you you specialize in climbing, but you see the importance of generalizing your training and you're not you're not uh hyper focused in such a way that like often leads to almost greater limitations where somebody can only see the benefits of pull work Mm -hmm. um but i see that you you're a personal trainer you're involved in uh helping so many people in their climbing experience and i i see from your training and your openness to try handstands to try all these little stick games we play that you have like an ability to generalize your movement. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you think that's important to make sure uh, to really excel in climbing that you need an eclectic background?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, yes and no. Uh, an eclectic background or an eclectic style of movement is not something that's necessary for climbing. Um, there are plenty of climbers that do really well that just train climbing. Um, but all of the best climbers to a lot of cross-training um, and that's how I would describe it, is cross-training. Um, yeah, for those of you who know what that means, uh, it's in the physical therapist or uh, personal training world. Um, but it's, it's, like, it's kind of more than that as well because it's like being able to build that mobility and strength in limits that are not utilized as well in climbing will really help be able to create that balance and things that are very utilized in climbing. So if I can't put my arms above my head and push upwards and do a handstand for example in that situation, um, then how am I going to properly pull down in that a similar position? If I can't push up and also like along those same lines if I can't if I'm only pulling down and never pushing up the muscles are going to get so imbalanced that I'm not going to be able to properly keep pulling and strengthening those pulling muscles without causing an injury because of the imbalance of muscles. Yeah. Um, and that goes further into injury pre- prevention. So that balance of uh, movement and technique and strength, uh, strengthening exercises really goes into trying to, pre- to prevent um, injury. I do a lot of push-ups purely to strengthen my triceps. So I don't get a bicep injury. Um, yeah. Uh, or just like a, a flexor tendon injury specifically. Um, and I do a lot of rice bucket. Highly recommend rice bucket. That's going to be more in the injury prevention e- uh, episode whenever that happens. Um, awesome. But that's, again, extensor on the fingers to try to, for more injury prevention. Um, and like all these like kind of counter movements that are just like the opposite motion of one. I train my front levers like crazy. I also train my back levers and I also train planches, um, planches more recently, but these are just like kind of the opposite idea. Both front and back levers are pulling, but from opposite ends of the spectrum, planches are pushing, v-sits are pushing again opposite ends of the spectrum, um, opposite ends of the range of motion rather than spectrum, I should say, but, uh, and these are, those are great things to train one and the other because if you have one side you kind of want the other otherwise it's going to be an imbalance and a lack of movement
0: yeah fantastic liam i want to save the injury prevention stuff that was an awesome little um beginning piece to yeah. it uh where we kind of just talked about training opposites if you are climbing please train the opposites i think that can be just a universally understood concept in any form of movement it's really nice to Uh, get get yourself in a more balanced state by doing opposites. So with that being said, we talked two major topics today. We talked climbing. We talked movement. I mean, we talked band life. For anybody who's interested in one or the other, let's start with a beginner climber, somebody who just is hearing this. They actually never even climbed. They might have climbed in a second grade field trip. What do you recommend for them if they enter this space on how they can start their journey?
1: Talk to people. Honestly, um, like I could say, like, oh, work on technique, work on building strength, work on your headspace—all these things that are important, um, or whatever—and like, which is more important than others is like, um, I have an order that's uh, I strongly believe in, of uh, which is most important. But I would say just talk to people because the climbing community is so unbelievably friendly that if you see someone doing something that you find incredibly impressive, say that. Hey. I really appreciate what you did. That was incredible. I really find that impressive. Can you show me something you know? Can I learn from you? Um, nine out of 10 times, they will be more than happy to show you. Uh, it's, it's, and fuck that 10th person. Right. <laughs> <laughs> fuck them. <laughs> they shouldn't be in the climbing community anyways. Um, and it, it's just so incredible, just like how welcoming this community is. And I've, I've loved it so much. Um, and it happens all the time when I see people who look like they don't really know how to start climbing. Um, I just introduce myself. Hey, what are you doing? Show me what you got. Show me, show me your climbing. I want to see, I just want to be, um, enjoy climbing with you and just spend a day. And if they want me to help them, uh, with their climbs, I will. If they don't, I'm not going to say anything because it's something that's for a lot of people want to experience on their own and appreciate in their own slow movement uh in their own journey and if they don't want someone to tell them how they should do something then i'm gonna fuck off i'm not gonna say shit because that's just gonna kind of turn them off of the movement in general that's also to you stronger climbers who are like want to help people like i get it i do too but sometimes helping people by telling them how they can be better can then hinder them because they don't want that and then it'll push them back in their grades or their motivation.
0: Yeah, wow. First off, I wanna say I love that advice because my first thoughts, uh, like when I when I teach movement, I, can, I always say, find a community. But for some reason, when I asked you that question, my answer was gonna be technique. That was gonna be my answer. But actually, I love that you said talk to somebody and I love that you split up the responsibility between the person who walks in the door to the people who have been through the door. Um, I think if uh, uh, I were to comment on it and you're just starting the climbing journey, setting a goal of talking to one person every time you go can be a fantastic way to just like find a reason. And uh, it's it, it comes really natural in this community. It's something I've experienced. I just moved to Baltimore. I've been going to Earth Treks and the community there is strong. People are so friendly. Um, if anybody is feels like they're barred from this type of experience reach out to me if you're in the area i would love to use a guest pass and bring you in and um yeah so that that, That that, applies to both of us i'm also happy to help yeah that and that's something that we really want to you know i think i think any person who loves climbing wants people to climb that's kind of just a natural a sequence of events you find it you love it you want to share it um so what, so that's the one thing you would say for the person who wants to enter climbing. What about a person who like, and, and before I actually say this, I want to say um, I think these types of goals and ideas we're talking about with climbing are universal. I think that whether you're trying to find a community in the climbing sport or you're trying to find a community um, and you're just a nurse and you're you're starting a new job or in any field, these types of uh, opportunities, I mean, of, of maintaining responsibility, as a person who's a veteran to introduce people who are newer and those who are newer to ask for that guidance is just universal. And it's something that can really help you feel more connected with your environment. So uh, jumping into the next one, we talked climbing, we talked van life, somebody who wants to enter van life. I know my friend Jordan does, he's going to be listening to this podcast. What would you recommend?
1: Um, so on Jordan's half specifically, so this is a probably a good example. He was talking about getting a... Um, just a skipper, just to start out. Um, which is just the idea of having a small van that just has a bed in it. And maybe a camping stove. That's a very... I was talking to him specifically about this. That's a very different mindset. It's like, I don't feel like at all I'm in a skipper. I don't feel like that's a middle ground between living in a home and living in the van. Because if anything... This is in the middle of the ground between home and that. Because mm. this is like having a home. I have the ability to walk around. I can cook. I can chill and read a book on my fridge. I can sleep. I can hang out with someone. I can stand and have a dance party. I can't do that in a skipper. Can't. That's just the bed and maybe a camping stove. And the idea of like going around, looking for a place to find food, uh, maybe... If you have a cooler in your van, you can only have food in it for small amounts of time. Um, and so that's a, it's a very different mindset. You don't live with all of the luxuries of being in a house. You live with the luxuries of being in a car and having a cooler and maybe a bed. Like a more comfortable front seat to sleep in. Right.
0: It's a glorified car.
1: Right. Exactly. This is more of a minimalistic house wow. um, on wheels. Uh, so if you want to go if you do need a middle ground I'd go tiny home oh, um, I see. and get a tiny home uh, if you have the money to go b- do both um, otherwise I'd say do some soul searching Yeah. really just think about yourself see in your home you could try to just get rid of as many things as you possibly can because you don't have room for shit and think count be able to count physically, everything you own, without looking at them. Because I know every single thing I own, and I could list them off right here, right now.
0: Wow. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, I, I uh, subscribe to minimalism nowhere near as heavily as Liam, but um, in the sense that I uh, have just found myself much happier when I disregarded a lot of uh, um, materialistic items in my life like right now liam's talking about counting i can count i have one spoon i have one fork one Mm -hmm. knife i have two glasses two two bowls i have uh like everything that i own also i I do my very best to maintain a minimalistic lifestyle and i think it it definitely speaks volumes on uh this letting go effect of Constantly chasing more materialistic items, and it's, it, I I think, for me, was a major shift into looking for experiences instead of another item, instead of a bigger home, instead of a bigger TV. It just became an opportunity for me to spend my finances on experiences. Um, is that what you've been experiencing as well?
1: Yeah, um, well, I spent a lot of money to build the van, um, <laughs> yeah, true. So, so that is definitely something you want to take into it. There so there, I went, um, mild luxury when I got my van. I'm not fully decked out. I don't have some uh, crazy van or a schoolie like a lot of people have done that have a lot more money than myself. Um, but I wanted to really go out and be able to build it in a way I wanted to. So I spent a little bit more money than the bare minimum. You can build out a van uh, for probably twenty five grand. Um, you can get a really, really cheap, um, like kidnapping van uh, one of the low roof ones that you can't stand up fully in um, and be able to get a similar type of luxury as mine to the extent where except for the fact that you can't stand up um, and you have much less room other yeah. than that you'll have all the same appliances and equipment for I'm going to say about 25 grand in total including the price of the van um because you can get one of those vans for about like five grand, um, and right. uh, one that you can trust a little bit more for like ten grand, um, and that that really cuts down costs. Mine in total was about fifty grand. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about twenty five for a twenty nineteen Promaster because I wanted something that would last me ten years, um, and about twenty five grand for all the equipment to build it. Um, about ten grand of that went into solar. Wow. so that's very expensive if you want solar that is something that's expensive I'm very happy I have it it's less useful in the winter but in the summer it does a lot and it's incredible um, and I'm yeah I love the fact that I did that and I think it's worth all the 10 grand that I spent on it um, and if anything it makes itself back because I'm spending less money on uh, gas
0: yeah well Liam thank you so much for the podcast man um for for the whole experience i mean like so i met liam uh i saw him at the rock climbing gym he had cool pants i walked up to him and I said cool pants and that's how we met we were talking about meeting people at the climbing gym this is a great a example of somebody who's guided me a lot in my journey and um yeah thank you liam for doing this podcast he's the very first guest everyone so uh yeah round of applause. <laughs> this is the first ever guest i'm i'm pumped i feel like there's a lot of excitement to come. I think I'm asking Liam to come back on um, often because he just ha- he has a wealth of knowledge, especially when we start breaking into some of the uh, technical components and ways to prevent injury. Uh, I have some concepts that I would love to draw out, and I know Liam has been also uh, equally involved in the subject. So with that being said, stay tuned for another episode. And um, yeah, thank you, Liam. Hell yeah. Yeah,
1: it's been a blast. It's been... Um, this was a lot of fun. Uh, I didn't really know what was going to happen. I've actually never been on a podcast, although I guess that's not really surprising. Um, but it's... I mean, it's been fun, and I'm excited to talk more about it and learn more uh, from the podcast itself, whether... I'm um, probably not going to follow it because I don't really follow media in general. But uh, I'll try to remember no to listen. <laughs> I'll try to remember to listen. Um... Uh, and I really enjoy talking to you in general and learning from you. I've learned a lot from you as well, um, and just about movement and the body in general. Uh, I really highly appreciate that, and I can definitely have uh, enjoyed spending my time uh, learning from you and with you.
0: Oh, yeah. Thank you, Liam. Much oh, love. Yeah.